0: This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's $123 menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries. That must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's $123 menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. Welcome to episode 69 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com, and today we welcome singer and bass player Michael Fiorentino from the band Somos. Somos have a new album called First Day Back on Hopeless Records and are one of my favorite bands from this new era of independent punk. Michael and I chatted about growing up in the scene and also his struggles with mental illness. If you know about Somos or not, I am sure that you're going to enjoy this episode. As always, contact me anytime over at washupemo.com. This is episode 69 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Michael Fiorentino from
1: Somos. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be doing this. When um, Emily, I, I don't know if you talked to Emily yes, at I Brixton. Did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I saw the email, I was like, oh, yes, definitely. Let's do that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: were you were you familiar with it or were you saw i probably tweeted at you a bunch probably
1: um i've seen i've i've seen you on i've seen the twitter handle but i've also yeah i guess i've just seen it everywhere and it seemed i've never listened to a full episode but um i guess just from seeing it and just having like that 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 recognition i was excited
0: Brad, And then, uh, you know, for you uh, growing up in, you know, the Boston area, were there bands and things that solidified you sort of about the independent scene? Was it, I, I think I'd read that like the hardcore scene was big for you.
1: Yeah, um, I was less into, like our guitar still in particular has almost like an encyclopedic knowledge of hardcore bands and all the different tributaries and, and subgenres, but I really... Liked, I loved like, Modern Life is War. I liked Verse a lot. I really liked Half Heart. So I would say I didn't. I never got too into it as a genre, but there were hardcore bands I really loved and got really into, you know, a few individual bands. So that was part of it. I think that, um, yeah, I would say that, that that was definitely a part of it. I actually grew up, and as did Phil and Justin, we grew up in Western Massachusetts. So we were never really out here when hardcore was a big thing. But, you know, some of those bands definitely, I think, have a new influence. We're actually named after an American Nightmare song. Ah, oh, I Their should song have. song We Are. Oh, I it's should have. It's just almost, yeah.
0: I should have figured that out. Oh, yeah. that kills me. Nice I, job.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> don't know I actually didn't know that I, until Phil told me, like, that's where he got the idea a while ago. But we had been called that. Like, we were a band, and then I found out afterwards that that's what Phil kind of came up with the idea around. Which and, is kind of funny, but... I love that. And then,
0: yeah. you know, for you guys with mean Western Mass, uh, were you only seeing local shows? Were you going to Albany? Were you uh, were you driving down to Connecticut? Like, what was some of the, you know, some bands we were, and scenes that you guys were getting into?
1: See, sometimes I feel kind of like an imposter with this because I, even today, I just... I never really went to that many shows. I don't, like... Not not because I don't like seeing live music, but I just always, was always more comfortable, like, just kind of, like, laying back a little bit. So I never went to that many shows, but... So, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I feel kind of phony being like, oh, yeah, like, the DIY scene and this and that. But, you know, we did, uh, you know, those guys went to more shows, but I remember, you know, yeah, we would drive out to bigger shows to see, like, we saw, like, Bane at the Palladium once. There was also, in Western Mass, there were bands like Ampere, um bands like relics they were doing sort of a more like angular hardcore thing mm-hmm. more like the Amherst area, so we would go you know i would i saw those types of bands um wasteland was a really amazing uh hardcore band based out of western mass but yeah i don't know, I always feel bad answering that question because the truth is, I just never really was that plugged into d i y personally well, growing up
0: i I think even that. Area, it's hard. I mean, I grew up in a small yeah. town. It's hard to get exposed. It's hard to understand the you know connections. And I think from that, sometimes it's almost better. You are sort of mm. left to your own devices. And I think with you um, and your writing, do you, do you feel like you spent more time playing? Did you spend more time listening to records at home? Uh, what were some of those sort of things that were uh, when you were learning instruments and bands? What were was that was that big?
1: yeah I definitely spent um i played upright bass in high school um you know I, pra- I used to practice a lot with that i I think that like you mentioned our first record was more more of like a pop structure and more hook driven or more chorus driven and i think that i think that is just a function of me not listening to a lot of like really aggressive music where that wasn't the case like I just grew you know i like when I was in high school, the thing I listened to most was probably like I loved like Leonard Cohen. I liked Bob Dylan. Um, through my dad, I got really into Bob Dylan, and then I'm trying to think. So I'm, now I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking out now that I'm on the phone. But Dude, I just it never like of like, just like I I had more like sh- like boring way taste, I guess, in music. You know what I mean? So I never got. So maybe that. Maybe that kind of molded me into someone who writes more like traditionally with like the chorus stuff that you that you would that you mentioned.
0: But then I mean, for you, Dylan and obviously Leonard, you know, l- lyrics were huge. And for me, on the, on the, when I was making music, like lyrics were kind of last. I kind of wanted the riff, and I think that's mm. just the, my brain maybe is not as big. But I think the right. I think the lyric part for you is really important. Um, and Mm -hmm. did you get that from those songwriters and what you know is that something that you spend um, obviously singing you do but you know you're kind of taking it a different way
1: definitely yeah I think I latched onto it oh another another huge lyricist for me when i was really young when i was like 12 or 13 was joe biafra i used to like
0: Ah.
1: i was so blown away that that band existed so i used to like study their. i'd buy the cd and like study the lyrics and i think i just developed a love for that through some of those more like iconic punk bands like the clash of the dead kennedys who had like that message and was very aggressive and sort of in your face and that really grabbed me at a young age i think because it's funny, like, our, gu- our guitarist, Phil, he's always like, I don't care like, what the lyrics are, like, is like is the song good, is the melody good, like, that's kind of how he judges music, where I, I'm definitely kind of a lyrics person, even when I listen to it, and I think that, yeah, that probably comes through a little bit with our writing. Um,
0: Which, uh, that's, that is a great... Like I am your Phil in your band. If yes. I was, <laughs> yeah, like, it would be Tom's always just thinking about the riff. But then you're coming in with that. If you both were that other way, it wouldn't work.
1: You know what's funny? Like we always have this thing where it's like if we, like if I write a song and we just do it like how I initially envisioned it, it's kind of boring because I'm just like, all right, here's the chords, here's the melody, <laughs> like, verse, chorus, and then these guys. It's actually really good the way you work because these guys. Um, Justin and Phil, are very creative guitar players, and we've you know we've always been able to play with a drummer who's also very creative and thinks outside the box. But like I said, I feel like sometimes I'm kind of like sh- kind of just straight laced with the songwriting, and that can be good in terms of like a melodic focus. But I definitely rely on you know my bandmates to elevate the actual songs as finished products. I love that. I love that yeah.
0: because you're coming in with that structure and you're like, look, I've got this idea. This is how many times I think. And then I'm sure Phil will come in and say, oh, what if we you know, did this twice and I did this little extra thing and that wasn't something you were thinking of. I think that's kind of... Right. You just talking this through, people that are in bands that are listening are probably like, uh, you know, that's how practice goes. And I think people wanting to be in bands, that's when it makes sense. That's when it works. Definitely.
1: There's that balance. There's There's that... There's that tension that was when it resolves itself, it really works. But there is that tension because the approaches are just so different. Yeah.
0: Like, I, I'm always like, I count differently than um, this one guy I was in a band with. So I would say mm. four, and he was thinking eight. So I would always feel oh, like, yeah. I would always have to be like, uh, and I'm horrible at math. So it would be like, uh, eight, 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think. Yep. <laughs> and then I'm trying to count that high. It's just It just didn't work. Um, totally. Now, when you with so you got a lot of music from your dad. Was there a record store? Was it online? Was it Napster? Like, what were some of those ways that you were just when you were in those years of just I'm going to ingest music? Um, what were some of the ways?
1: Um, there was a local record store. I, um, I never was. I never got vinyl, um, but I would just you know I'd go buy CDs. A store called Platter, Platypus Records in Westfield. Which is the town that I grew up in? So, a lot of it, yeah, was just sort of like researching what band is like this, and then saving up money and then going there and trying to see if they had the CD or asking the guy to order it. So, a lot of it was based around that. Um, like the first CDs I got, or when I started to build my music collection, it was definitely revolved around a record store, which is so weird today because I I haven't bought, and this this sounds kind of hypocritical, but I have not bought a piece of music in like five years i think which I, is kinda, i i know that i know that's bad because i want people to buy our music but i also as like a consu- on the other end of it as a consumer it's just like it's all it's all streaming for me at this point
0: yeah and actually i was going to ask you that because the buying experience i think is different than that streaming and i mm-hmm. kind of was looking at some i've pared down my cds over the years and i remember uh, they're at my parents' house. I don't have room in New York City for them. And I remember going through them, and and I know every single page of every book or mm-hmm. uh, booklet. Or I know I can rattle off, who, you know, the thank yous or or in the thing. And I there's this point where, and I mean not taking out Somos, but I mean I was listening to Somos, and I don't have any of your records on vinyl or CD. I have streaming, right? But then mm-hmm. I don't have that same connection to Mm -hmm. the music and i think for you you've bought cds and now you're streaming do you feel that that there's this less of a connection because we have such a we can listen to anything we want
1: well i feel like now it's people have much broader taste i guess so people have access to much more but maybe it's a little bit it's like a mile wide and an inch deep where like i rarely will listen to even like an entire album so it's like i listen to individual songs or singles from a ton of people, put them in a playlist. But back then when right, I was, you know, purchasing CDs or, you know, going to the record store, you know, I had less music at my disposal at my fingertips. But I do think I developed probably, like, a deeper appreciation for it. Like you said, combing through the lyrics, you know, just having it as like a, as a tangible item. So I definitely think that's the case that, you know, there's pros and cons with, with, with each. I think ultimately I'd prefer streaming just because, just for the you know, the sheer amount of music that you have at your fingertips at any time. But yeah, definitely I think that I probably like devoured or I, I don't devour like a record as much as I would have ten years ago if I went and bought it at the at the store.
0: Like I, I, I would say, you know, with your last record, I would say I wish I knew Lifted from the Current Track Eleven mm. just as much as I knew Problem Child. Because right. Problem Child was on a playlist or you had the video. But for, you know, it's almost like I, I loved knowing that I knew track 12 just as much as I knew the first track. Um, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't happen anymore.
1: It doesn't, yeah. And it makes me think, um, sometimes I'm like, should we just be putting out, like, singles, basically? And then, yeah. you know, at the end of a, of, of a year or something, you know, putting that into, like, a a collection of singles. Like, we, we have those conversations sometimes, like, is that... I mean, I guess in our scene, there are you know vinyl, syllabic thing, and people are really still into albums. But it definitely seems like the single approach might guarantee that each song gets more, you know, gets more appreciation. And that's that's something I think about sometimes. Well,
0: to that, I also think about your life cycle. It's not like you Mm -hmm. guys are off. You have to keep updating socials. You have to keep, you know, there's always something going on with merch or it's almost like you guys are never off. So having a record come out and then having all this sort of downtime, but if you have seven inches or splits, which you guys have done with Sorority Noise and Have Mercy, those are sort Mm -hmm. of like extra little tent poles throughout the year that it's people are talking about Somos.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think I I think I might like that more than like really having to think through like okay we have to have this heavy record I think it's it's almost more fun and a little bit it's just like a it, little more like lighthearted to be like okay let's put a song out or let's let's focus on this and release this
0: yeah and you can do it do you know you just need yeah. an album cover
1: right exactly exactly
0: um, well it looks like we figured out the marketing plan for 2016 for some else, so I'm glad we figured that out. <laughs>
1: that's awesome yeah actually it's funny we actually do we're gonna put out like a digital single in like early september i'm pretty sure oh cool we might do, like a limited cassette thing but we're gonna we are gonna try to take that route and you know see how it turns out i love that um
0: yeah well switching gears just because you know the name of the the podcast and um uh you know what is your thoughts about emo and i mean again as I said earlier, you would have fit back in the 90s. You would have been there mm. right with a hardcore band, uh, you know, like Split Lip or Texas is the Reason. You would have been right there within those shows. It wouldn't been, it would not have been out of place. But being lumped into it, um, even if it was through Chinese engines or just, you know, tour partners or whatever, how, how did you guys feel about that? And is it something that is even on your mind?
1: Mm. I mean, it definitely, obviously, is a term that, Still has sort of a stigma for a lot of people, but I don't. It never. It doesn't bother me just because any. I mean, any genre is going to have good and bad music, you know, quality and then stuff that's just garbage. So this is one of the things where even with even with the email discussion, like I know the big legends, like I know the American footballs, but I'm not as up on like the '90s world. Mm-hmm. And I know there's, like, a very interesting and creative tradition that that's a part of, but when it comes to getting labeled emo today, I know that, like, what's referred to as, like, the emo revival, it's referring to this, you know, wave of music at the grassroots level that, you know, bands are trying different things, and it's interesting, and it's, it's very different from, like, the the form of emo that was, like, you know, topping the charts a decade ago. So in that sense, I think it's cool. There's been a lot of, like, you know, a lot of, like, people have written about it um interesting, people have had interesting things to say about it from a variety of angles so from that vantage point it's cool i guess sometimes i'm bummed when it gets slapped on us only because i know other people don't know that history they just assume it means something which it doesn't so yeah i don't think about it too much but yeah i yeah ideally we wouldn't get called that it would just be like rock music yeah, in and, some form,
0: you know what I mean? 100%. And that sort of thing where you're you're totally right where you meet someone yeah. and they you say emo and they're like, "Oh, cool. Yeah, I hear I hear 90s or I hear right. um, you know, I I hear Texas is the reason in in your music or I hear, you know, something else, but then another person right. you say that to and they're going to be like, "Well, you don't sound like that band from the mid 2000s." Yeah, they
1: think like swoop tear. Yeah, they think it's kind of like this cheesy thing,
0: but yeah, yeah which is which so, is which is why i have the podcast and the website and hopefully people learn um, the entire history because that's the thing i when i do the dj night that i've been doing for 5 years or doing any sort of education it's more of if there's someone that thinks that that's what that is i try and tell them about the old and the new and say right. there's things before it and after it it did not just land in this 4 year period or 5 year period and then poof go away uh right. that's the part that i think is really frustrating sometimes because It's just, well, that's what it sounds like. And I'm cool with people loving that. And if they were 15 during that time and it was really important, I get that. But Mm. there's a history to it. And if you use that word, it doesn't just mean, you know, the mid-2000s. I think you guys probably went into that where you're getting lumped into certain sounds because of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Which can be frustrating at times, but it's not like it's this big, you know, like imposing challenge for our band or anything like that. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And how, how's everything going on hopeless? I love those guys over there, Tobin and all those dudes are just, you know, music music geeks.
1: Uh I mean it's it's going well. Um they it's funny, they reached out to us like right when Temple of Plenty came out basically, like on the the month after it came out. We were on our first tour that was longer than a weekend. So they reached out early. Um, you know, other people we were talking to some other labels too, but we one of them just because they bring a lot of, like, good resources to the table, and, like you said, the staff's very smart. They're very, like, driven. So I have no complaints with Hopeless. Like, it's been it's been really good so far. Great. And yeah. I think, too, the
0: scene today, and I think, you know, are there thoughts about it that you're sort of, um, you know, happy about or not happy about um, with what's happening right now?
1: You mean just, like, the... Like when you say scene, you just mean like the, the com- whole
0: thing, like every. I think just the community that you're in right now—that you were the bandmates or the touring or uh, things that, you know that you're mentioned next to—that's just the group of bands that you're sort of around.
1: Yeah, I think that. Well, I think that it's definitely. Hel- I think it's like definitely at least in our little corner of it, it's very healthy. Like there's a lot of very there's bands that are taking, like, interesting chances, like, I, like, bands that are just writing great pop records, I think, without a lot of, you know, I don't know, I think of, like, a band like The Hotelier, or bands like Modern Baseball, they're just good bands writing good records, and, you know, they're getting recognized, and we kind of get lumped into that little subgenre of, like, this scene, I guess, and I'm, uh, I'm happy about that. I think that, you know, obviously with like the broader like everything that gets covered in alternative press scene there's other issues but in terms of our little corner of it I think that there's a lot of bands that are doing good work and breaking some interesting ground so yeah I'm, I'm yeah I would say that I guess When I came here, it was a meeting
0: frenzy. And then I think too, I mean, Cam from Sorority Noise has talked about mental illness. I know a lot of others have kind of brought it up and, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, things people deal with these things and I love that people are talking about them cause they're important. There's, there's a, you know, couple things about, you know, one more dig on the mid two thousands. Again, I apologize. People can roll their eyes, but this whole thing of like glorifying cutting or glorifying this sort of I'm sad. And that really mm-hmm. kind of bums me out because the music is not sad. It is inspiring. It is, it is hopeful it is something like it 's a inexperience, an and that 's what I try to get across to people that when people say that that is detriment to what the sound was it doesn 't mean any of those things and um, I think that goes in hand with that mental illness of things that you need to be open and talking about it and mention um, and I think you know you had said or in previous that there's some things that you know have have troubled you, and I think music is what a great way to confide with someone in a band or a fan. About that same experience, and you know, mm-hmm. what did you learn from it, or some struggles that you've had with it as well?
1: A lot of people, um, I think, can relate to it, um, which has been interesting. Like having conversations with people that come up to us or come up to me at shows. Um, I think it touched a nerve, um, which is I'm I'm happy about that. And that the intent was just to sort of explain at the time. The intent was just to sort of explain why we were dropping the tour, but you know, a lot of people reached out and were very kind. And then, like I said, on the road, people will come up and say, like, I really related to that. And I'm glad to be part, because there is a conversation happening in our music community that I think is reducing the stigma. And then sometimes I get frustrated because then it ends up becoming only about just a conversation or just, just like losing the stigma. When I feel like we have to get to the point where we're advocating for, things that will actually help people in a more material and concrete way. Like we need, basically it's like we need free and high quality mental health care for everybody. And that's just not the case. So I, I'm very much in favor of conversation. I'm very much in favor of reducing the stigma, but I think it's just a step. It's just like one important step. Um, cause there's big structural changes I think in our society to really address it. You know what I mean? Outside of, Outside of anything specific to lyrics within our genre or even music or touring musicians, like it's this huge national epidemic that you know people don't cannot always afford treatment to get it fixed. Obviously, a lot of people just don't have those resources. so or, to me, that is frustrating.
0: yeah, or it's 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 seen as not something that should be treated or something that you can just kind of forget about and wake up the next morning and be okay um yeah or
1: people treat it with people self-medicate i mean the living standard is declining in the the united states and i think that you know these things are related so i definitely think yeah you have to drop the stigma people have to feel like it's a genuine thing that deserves treatment totally and you know for
0: people that might not know i mean you did have to you know drop off some dates i mean what were some things that you were going through and you know what's sort of helped you get through that
1: I mean, I was just going through sort of textbook anxiety and depression, like not really being too functional, having a lot of social anxiety, just was not a, did not feel healthy enough to go on tour. Like go on, because it's kind of demanding. Like you're in a new spot every night, you're interacting with a lot of people. So I made that call, um, took some time, figured some things out. And then she started to feel better. And then, you know, made the call that we could do it. We could start touring again several months after that. But I think it was the right call to make just because we just, I I personally was just not in a position to tour. So I would do it the same way all over again. And yeah, I I feel like almost like a different person after that because I hadn't really attempted to deal with it in any serious way, even though I struggled with it, you know, a lot through my life. So now that I, once I sort of Grab the bull by the horns or whatever I feel much better about it
0: what were um did you did you have a therapist and a psychiatrist? was it both or was there you know was it kind of a I balance
1: to, like I got on medicine yep, which is work I think saw so I saw somebody briefly that kind of helped me get on to the medicine i i didn't get as much out of that end of it, but I think just the the experience of acknowledging it um, getting some of the Reinforcement from people when you made the announcement, and then getting on a uh, like a regimen that worked in terms of the medicine was kind of a, the combination that was really helpful.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I speaking personally for two seconds, I had some of the same issues uh, at a, years years ago, and it was the same thing. It was this balance of speaking to someone, but then also having the certain uh treatment that fit and you know what dosage and those those types of things and some of these right. things and I think for people to listen some of these things are temporary some of these things could just be uh you know you need to get on the a month thing and then you're you're good or some of them are more long term and right. uh, for you you know you were you were able to figure it out and get on a system and and now it's like you're okay and you're level almost um and that's not to mean that doesn't mean you're stone that doesn't mean you're you're out of it it's that you're at this level position where you're able to function correct
1: right exactly yeah exactly being functional was a goal at that point and it feels good to have achieved it
0: because everything it's it is that feeling of not wanting to get up those simple things that you don't want to do, or when -hmm. you have to do something, you kind of freeze up. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. No, Uh, definitely, it's a real, it's a, you know, it's a painful thing to go through, so definitely.
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, definitely for you guys to be able to, and you personally, to be able to say that out loud and be able to, I'm sure people come up to you all the time now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, on tours, people come up and we'll we'll bring it up, which I'm always I'm always glad to have that conversation.
0: Did you? Can, I mean, that's something big. I think those people are going to remember that. I hope so. Yeah, I think so.
1: Um, I guess I yeah, I would hope so. I, I imagine that they would, just because if they're if they're fans of the band, and then they can have that extra connection. It's something that hopefully will get driven home in that extra way. So. Yeah, yeah. That makes on that level, I'm, I'm happy about that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that. That's again, you're kind of passing on that same knowledge that someone else gave you, um, that right. you hope. But I, you kind of talking back about, or talking a little bit late, uh, earlier about that sort of like more than just saying it, more than having a song, more than that. It's like the I always always joked about the hardcore show. You know, they'd always talk about like equal rights, and you know, it was just it would be like, well, you're just saying that in between songs, um, like what's happening after. And yes, some bands say it and some bands don't, but just that overall, there's like this sort of, you say something and there's no weight to it. Like everyone can change their avatar on Facebook for whatever reason, but does that do anything?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't
0: don't know if it does.
1: Right. I mean, I guess it can, it can serve as a, like a precondition for people to go into activity around any sort of issue or, set of demands just because it can change people's consciousness i guess or it can change the way people think about something or make them more open to advocacy around anything but ultimately you're right you have to have movements you know real grassroots movements that you know are based in the streets that mobilize people that's ultimately the way that you're going to affect change in any whatever the issue is that's going to be the way that it's accomplished so yeah, it has to be. It has to be the advocacy talking about it, but also there has to be a focus on really building at the grassroots level as well.
0: Which I find doesn't happen. Um, sadly, these happens. There's like a cycle. You know, everyone gets stoked or not stoked, but everyone talks about it. Everyone, you know, gets outraged. There's things. There's benefits. There's uh, whatever it is for whatever that situation is. And then two weeks later, the next cat video or the next baby photo pops up and it's gone.
1: Sure. Yeah, they can be frustrating, definitely. Yeah. It frustrates
0: me. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the video for Problem Child. Um, if, if people haven't seen it, or I want people to, but tell tell
1: everyone about it. Um, it's basically shot at the house where Justin and I, Justin's our guitarist, we live here. Um, we we wanted a music video for the song because we think it's one of the stronger songs on the record. It's actually personally one of my favorite songs he's ever written, but we wanted to do a video. We thought, why don't we try to just do it at our at our house? You know, we might be able to get more comfortable. We worked with our friend Eric Rojas, who's a really good director. And, you know, it's kind of got this cool black and white feel to it, but it's also like there's like this, It's in, it's most of it's in slow motion, and I think it works really well. Um, and I think we were just able to get more comfortable because we did it in our own house. It wasn't like this... You know, on set, or we went to some crazy location. We just sort of rolled with it, and you know, had our friend had our friend shoot it. So I think I, it's my favorite video that we that we've done for sure.
0: Rad, I love. Yeah. It. And so, what is next? You mentioned the uh, thing in September, but uh, what's next for touring? What's next for you guys? Or is there a little break? Or what's,
1: what's we have up? right now? We're just right now we're writing. Um, we are, like I said, we're going to release a single, maybe a small cassette. We're, we'll be announcing a headline tour soon, um, like a full U, our first full U.S. headline tour. So we're writing a lot. We're putting that together. We're playing. Um, we're just playing a Women's Prison at the end of August. I'm really excited to do that. That'll be a new experience. So there's some interesting things coming down the pipeline for us, but right now we're just. I'd say the big focus is on just accumulating material and and writing songs.
0: Rad. Is there anything yeah. else you want to tell anybody or tell, tell the uh, listeners?
1: Um, I can't. Other than just, like, if you have made it this far, thank you for listening. I guess that, <laughs> that, that comes to mind.
0: That is a great, that is actually, no one's ever done that. So fantastic yeah. job because you're totally right. If you've made it this far, Michael and I appreciate that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, those are all the questions I had. Um, awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so
1: much. Your youngest one, Empire crowned a thorn. Today you get super one, and the rope around your neck will call a halo and you're
0: gone.
1: the skins are wrong, your eyes are out. Anything for your daily bread, shirt tucked in your shaking hands. Your arms fell off, and your arms fell off.